Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello and welcome to Off the Beaten Track podcast. How you all doing? Good. Good. So you're in for a treat today. You're going to get a little bonus episode and it's got a bit of a twist to it. It's not the format of Off the Beaten Track that you know. But I've just released an episode with Jen Crubbers, who owns Boogaloo Radio. And I have a new show on Boogaloo Radio called The Last Dance. And I had Josh Weller on the first one. And just recently, I got to sit down with another one of the station's guests. And that guest was Mr. Alan McGee of Creation Records. So this was a big thing for me. Uh, This is the guy that signed Teenage Fan Club, My Bloody Valentine, Oasis, Primal Scream, God, Snetien, so many more, so many more. And I couldn't wait to sit down and and chat to him about what it's like to to be responsible for discovering such incredible bands and 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 it was just a massive part of my life creation records. It it soundtracked so much for me as a DJ, as a musician and as, as as a music lover, and yeah, and it was an absolute joy. I didn't know what to expect from Alan, and he was he was fantastic, really, really welcoming, really friendly, really chatty, and and we had a right laugh, and we got to chat about lots of things we love, which is basically just bloody good records. So yeah, go and have a look at Boogaloo Radio um, because it's not just um, myself and Alan that have got shows on there but let me give you a little uh, few more reasons to go over there so David Morrissey of The Walking Dead he's got a show on there um, Bernard Butler formerly a Suede uh, Andy Ross who owned Food Records Dave Robinson who owned Stiff Records I think one of the guys from the Claxons has got a show on there previous guest Rowena Alice previous guest Billy Lum from the Subways they've all got shows over there and so many more Go over there and have a look and, and, and get involved because as a station, it's punk rock as hell. And and it's just, there's a cool little community there. And, and I feel really, really privileged to, to just to be sort of trying to slot in somewhere in a, in a little corner somewhere there. And uh, I'm having so much fun doing these radio shows on Boogaloo. And hopefully I've got some really exciting guests coming up in, in, in future recordings. So I'm taking this opportunity to put this out as a little bonus episode. Obviously, I've had to chop the music out of the one you're going to hear now. Please head over to um, Mixcloud or BoogalooRadio.com and you can hear the full version of all the records that we played. Um, but the, the, this episode here, it's just an opportunity to hear me chatting to Alan and to, to wet your whistle to 
to head over to, to Boogaloo and, and check out um, other shows I've done over there and um, all the shows that the other great DJs have got on there. So I'm going to shut up now. Thanks to um, my producer, 76, for um, editing this all up and taking all the music out and such. And biggest thanks of all was to Boogaloo Radio, to Jen Crovers, and of course, today's guest, Mr. Alan McGee. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Hello, and welcome to the last dance from Boogaloo Radio. And today, I'm joined by the one from Mr. Alan McGee. Hey, Stuart, how are you? I'm good, thanks, mate. Thanks loads for agreeing to come and do this, mate. It's uh, it's yeah. a real privilege. Yeah, no, I mean, it's like, okay. Yeah, it'll be, it should be an interesting show. If you, well, we've got mutual friends anyway. Yes. For Danny Watson. So yeah. Should be good laugh. Well, we'll get on to that a little bit. About him. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get on to that a little bit later because um, if it's cool, you were talking about Death Disco and stuff like that. Yeah, you think, yeah, am yeah. I right in saying Danny was yeah. involved in that? Yeah, but he's a big part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. We'll get on to that. But so just to bring people into the loop as to how this show works, um, the world's going to end shortly. And. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going out for the night and I'm taking Alan with me. <laughs> and, uh, and so what I'm going to do, as, as the night unfolds, I'm going to get Alan to choose some songs um, that are going to playlist the last night out ever. And uh, the first song that Alan's chosen, which is I ask guests to choose the song that reminds you of your childhood that you want to hear one last time. And, uh, and I'll, I'll play it and then, uh, then Alan and I will uh, have a little chat about that in a second so uh, let's get that track on oh, I'll tell you what this Spotify thing that's a great start Spotify automatically seems to just start you can't pause it it just drops the track straight in so here we go oh god's sake this is a brilliant start isn't it there we go there we go T-Rex Get it on by T-Rex, which is the first track chosen by my guest, Alan McGee. You're yep. listening to Boogaloo Radio. What memories does that evolve? Well, that was my first, uh, Stuart, that was my first seven-inch I ever bought. So I was ten, and it was number one. I loved it, but I probably, if I was being honest, I probably bought it because it was number one. Do you know what I mean? You know, I was yeah. like a ten-year-old. I thought it was great, and I thought he was great. And that was the beginning of my love for glam, which I would say is probably... As, you know, I probably like glam music more than I like punk music, but that's the two central poles to my musical kind of love or knowledge yeah. of music. It's like the glam, the 70s for me defines everything for me. You know, I love the, the pop, the T-Rex, Slade, Bowie, Sweet. Um, who else I really, really like for that period? Nearly everything, to be honest. I mean, I... You know, I love that period, and then I love the punk thing as well. Obviously, you know, I love all the the punk records and what I, I fucking professor at that shit. You know, what I mean, I didn't obsess by it, but uh, but I love the um, I absolutely love the uh, the I love the the, the, the sound of the seventies records because it's really warm. Yeah, and uh, I was out with Mike Chapman yesterday, and uh, you know, we're trying we're going to try and find. An artist and work it. Work, I'll, I'll manage the artist. He'll produce the records, maybe even write the records if we can find somebody to work with. 
that kind of just lets us do it. But you know that whole thing, the sound of a, a Les Paul through yeah. a Marshall, and it's the warmth of it. That for me, it's just it's just the it defines the seventies. It know definitely I mean? has got a warmth. Something like the Chinny Chap thing as well, which is that production. You know, a, a Chin and Chapman. They, they were just genius, and there was a few producers like that around. There. Mickey Most was genius as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean, there was a there was a little bit, but Chin, sweet records and just the sound of these records, like Hellraiser and Teenage Rampage and Bowling Blitz, just fucking phenomenal records. Bowling was Bowling was just genius boogie guy, you know, the master of boogie. I think Primal Screen called him. Yeah, and uh, he just really was. You know, what I mean, it's just like, and it what's really. What's really sad about Bowling is that he came and went, you know, really, he was dead by, what, 80 or something like that? Yeah. And, uh, he made his mark though, right? Oh, uh, beyond. I mean, we're, well, I mean, we're still yeah. all playing him and we're still all talking about Mark Bowling. You know, uh, I mean, terrible stuff went on me. I don't know, are you aware that, you know, his son only recently got the millions, or like, you know, but it was all, yeah, I mean, it went, I mean, there was something like 30 or 40 million that went missing. And nobody knew where it was, and it was untraceable for years. Rolling bowling, I'm mates with him. And he used to come to Death Disco, which we yeah. were talking about, uh, you know, a minute ago. And uh, my club and Roll, that's how I, met, I know Rolling. He used to come. It was after Oasis, and yeah. and a lot of these kids used to come to my club and hang out. And uh, I used to, he used to talk to me about it and stuff like that. And you know, he, I mean, I'm really pleased for him that he because it's it's his. I mean, his dad died. And yeah. What. 20 years later, he still hadn't seen the money. So, and, and you know, all these records were selling. I mean, Bowling, the Bowling catalogue, well, these big records. I mean, Bowling had like four number ones, didn't he? Yeah. And they had like two or three American number ones. So, it was, you know, that catalogue's worth a lot of money. So, he's, his family should have it. So, I mean, speaking to someone that's obviously should know the industry inside out, how does that sort of money disappear because I watched a documentary a little while ago I always generally sort of rinse music documentaries yeah. on BBC4 when they're on about whatever band and, yeah. and I ended up watching one about UB40 well, well, and but I tell you what I think it is I think it's a lot of times you let people in the checkbook sort of thing you let people have power attorney yeah you know, I'm not saying that's what happened with bowling because I don't really know. Oh, I hear rumours, but it's, but but in if you're talking about uh, as an industry, what happens when a lot of these big estates yeah. kind of lose the wealth to, you know, like to, to whoever you know. Basically, generally speaking, it's bent accountants, bent yeah. managers. Not so much managers. Weirdly, yeah. it's like it's more like bent accountants, bent lawyers. That's where if if that stuff goes up, goes missing. Yeah. Usually, it comes down to these kind of yeah. characters. I don't know what happened with bowling. I, I really don't know. Uh, I suspect it was probably something like that. Yeah. But, but I, I, I bet you I'm not that far wrong. Roland never told me, you know, what exactly happened. But I know that he told me one point that they thought forty million was missing. That's crazy. Last time, I'm no UV40 fan, but I oh, no, that, this... that, that story's the most insane story. And it's crazy, isn't it? Because I don't know if people understand, well, they won't understand. Um, they sold 100 million records. The group probably were making £4 a copy because they were a big band and yeah. they had good management. You know, that's 400 million. <laughs> there's a lot of money to get, yeah. you, you know, there's a lot of money to lose. I mean, I'm sure they had quite a lot of it in the, the yeah. big houses and everything but somewhere down the line somebody has had that band over royally yeah you know what I mean I just don't know how money like of, of that quantity can just disappear I know well obviously I mean I don't I, I actually really don't know anything about that part yeah. I, I, I think it's when you've got a guy as good as Kirbishley who's a brilliant manager he manages yeah. the Who 
And uh, if he took over UB40 and he couldn't find where the money went, but when somebody of that kind of like that that magnitude, he's a great manager, yeah. and a big time manager. If he can't find where the money went, then I think you've got it. That's gone. That it was pretty well done. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't think Bill could find it. Jesus. All right. So going back to T Rex and get it on being the first seven inch of the ball. Yeah, yeah. So where was this? Where was you born? I was born in Glasgow. Okay. Uh, on the south south side of Glasgow. Okay. I was born in Govan Hill. Uh, which is kind of rough. Uh, it wasn't that rough at the time. It's rough now, though, to be honest. Uh, and then I moved up when I was five, for the, I think for the better school, actually. The, my mum done that. And uh, we moved to Mount Florida. And uh, and that's, that's I lived there, and Bobby moved to Mount Florida when he was 11 for better school as well. Yeah. And we both went to King's Park Secondary. I was school. Shit. Yeah. But it, was, but it wasn't terrible. I mean, it wasn't a... I wasn't a you know, I was rubbish at school, but I, I, you know, it wasn't. I, it wasn't. It was more like a prison sentence on level. Of, it was like how long to get another two years? Fucking hell! And then I was out at the age of sixteen. I was out. Do you know what I mean? You know, leading up to getting out, what was? It was just a like prison. You know, I mean, it was that kind of thing. It was just an institution. They, the teachers hated us. You know, they just thought we were all little scrotes. Uh, you know, I mean, I didn't. You know, I, I hated the teachers, so I, I, there was no way I was really wanting to learn anything, if I was being honest. But um, but even if you had wanted to learn anything, the people that wanted to learn, I knew people that actually were swatty, yeah. and they used to get bullied by the fucking bullies. Horrible. So school was shit, but I mean, I suppose, you know, that's not a weird story. Anybody listening to this, I'm 58. Anything around my age, I'm sure that all the English schools yeah. were kind of the same deal. Yeah, what was yeah. your school like, Stuart? Yeah. yeah, it was crap. Yeah, well, yeah. Cool. I mean, yeah. they're not designed to teach you. Uh, and and it weren't even that because academically I, I weren't yeah. great, and yeah. but I wasn't interested in that. I was, you know, yeah. I was I was into music, yeah, that's and me. That's and, me. and I wanted to kind of carve some kind of career in music, whether that was in a band or or, yeah. or, or I just wanted to be involved in yeah. it in some way, shape, or form. And I know, personally speaking, that certain anything artistic weren't or creative weren't encouraged in my school. I, I presume yeah. that was like yeah. for like where, where where you was. Yeah, I mean, you, the well, there was nothing. They, they wouldn't. We were just cannon fodder for the factory. Yeah. Me and Bobby, and we both done things like that. I, I worked in a factory, making collars. I uh, worked on a building site all before. You know, yeah. you know, I ended up in London in nineteen. But I did all that in Glasgow between sixteen to nineteen. Yeah. Bobby worked in a print factory, which is a slightly better job than working on a building site. Yeah. But I mean, we both had shit jobs. Okay. <laughs> um, so in regards to music and that, like, yeah. was there music on at home when you was growing up? No, my mum and dad had rubbish taste in music. They uh, they liked things like I just remember them playing things like Tony Christie. Yeah. You know, not three times and <laughs> not three times in the ceiling if you want me. Boom, boom, <laughs> boom. Twice on the pipe if the answer's no. You know, little darling. No. Yeah. You know, it's rubbish music. But so I was a reaction against that, which was good, really. That's how I got into the, the glam thing and then the punk thing. Did you have like older brothers or sisters or no, anything I was like the that? Oldest. I've got two sisters a bit younger than me. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I suppose I was a reaction against my parents. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, look, for, for track two, Alan, I asked you to choose um, a piece of vinyl uh, and to play and and to, to just to kind of enjoy looking at the sleeve one last time. And uh, and you've gone for Screaming Delica. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really important record, that, to me. I mean, my daughter was born to uh, Higher Than the Sun. 
Oh, you know, so she came out her mother at Great Portland Street. If, if he's getting too crude for anything, <laughs> <laughs> we've, got, we've got a young boy at the school. Deppin' on production here. I don't want to go freaking him out, but she got a she got a cesarean, Kate, and uh, Charlie, my daughter, popped out. And uh, you're allowed to in these posh hospitals, right? Yeah. Because uh, you know you've got to get the wife a posh hospital. That yeah. pops out. So it's like a as I was playing the music, I was DJing at my own kids bus and uh, <laughs> relentless and I was trying to get the royalties and uh, I was like and I, I played uh, I was playing High on the Sun and Come Together like, and Charlie popped out it was great fantastic well look let's um, should we have a bit of Primal Scream yeah yeah let's do it Fight It, Feel It by Primal Scream, um, which was one of the tracks on the album Scream Delicate, which Alan chose as his piece of vinyl that he wanted to have a look at the sleeve before he went do, out. Do you know the sleeves are still, as I say, quite interesting, that sleeve. The inside sleeve is the band with Simon Stevens' ex-girlfriend, can't remember what she's called, good-looking girl, right? And they wanted that to be the front cover of Scream Delicate, and it just looked like a... MC5 yeah. or, a, or a Stooges, more yeah. like Stooges actually. Yeah, Stooges outside, yeah. And, uh, and I knew, we, we'd had a couple of hits at that point, like proper hits, load loaded, and we'd had we'd had come together, the, mm-hmm. the pop version. And I knew that we had to be pop. And then there was a poster on the wall that had the Paul Kinnell painting. And I went, we need, we need to use that. And Bobby went, no. And I, I got records out, the big 12-inch records, and put them and put the sun in the middle of it. And it, I think it was like blue and yellow on the. It, it, I think it had been that had been a, maybe for even don't fight it feel it. It'd been a kind of like flyer kind of thing for that. Uh, but it was this painting thing that Paul had done, and I went, "That should be the sleeve." And he goes, "Okay, red." And that's how I mean, you know, and we basically it was like, and it was so last minute. It was the next day. We had one day left, and there was like there was like there was a lot of orders on on the record. I think there was about forty thousand orders, you know, on the record, and it was all ready to go. But we needed a sleeve, and primals were always terrible at that. And then we literally chose it. It was the sleeve was done overnight, you know, like it was uh, yeah. graphically designed, and then it was put into production. It was so last minute, and thank God we got it right because it's such a great record. It's an iconic sleeve, right? Yeah, I mean, we we but you know the real truth is we didn't really. We were blagging it. We didn't really know. There was not really that much. So I, I was just, I, I just wanted something better than the inside cover. So talking about vinyl and, and looking at, at sleeves and stuff like that, do you feel, like, what, what's your stance on the kind of the demise of vinyl? I guess we can talk it's that. Not it, that it, it's not that much in demise. And, and, and obviously it's, actually, it's, it's, it's kind it, of coming back now, yeah, obviously, I mean, and has been. I think, I think vinyl's healthy, actually, you know. In the fact, I mean that CDs will probably go. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, vinyl. I think it's always. I think vinyl's got its audience now. But it, because for me, being the age I'm growing up, like getting that piece of vinyl, and only really being able to afford one album every few weeks or whatever, yeah. saving up your pocket money, and you know, you'd put it on, and then while she listened to it, for me, I was always that nerd that would just study the sleeve, and and I think. That was lost a little bit with CDs, and when it goes yeah. into MP3s, you know, 
that that whole kind but, of visual but, representation I, is that lost? Well, I, I never I never liked CDs. Yeah, you know, I, I, although I can't be a hypocrite because I actually did sell literally millions. Of CDs, <laughs> right, you know? so I can't be a hypocrite. <laughs> You've done what I have them, right? And I made a lot of money out of it because it was like oh, because uh, the, you know you know there were sometimes there were fifteen pounds in the shops. Yeah. And sometimes we were getting nine quid a CD. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like crazy. So I can't be a hypocrite. We, we, we were great with that with that format, but the truth is it. I, how I judged it is I used to stay up up to about 94 you know partying all the time and uh, my re- my ears I could stay up for two or three days listening to vinyl and it was great but but CDs my ears died after about 12 hours so it's a much more pe- people friendly kind of thing do, to do you think music on vinyl I love love of vinyl what, just the sound of it yeah because so, it's warm and so I, I was going to say do you think that goes back to the warmth of glam well, and you know what I think it's the difference between analogue and digital I think digital if we put a CD on in here every part of the room the CD would sound the same yeah. right that's digital and analogue if we put a record on in this room and we walked around it would it would be different in every part of the room yeah. so I think that warmth and that movement is yeah. why you like it okay so how did you meet Bobby? I grew up with him, man. He was, he was my oldest friend, you know. I mean, I saw him last night, actually, at that documentary that's coming out on BBC Four. Um, but, yeah, he's a year younger than me. Um, 12, 11, we grew up, played football with each other in the park, in the in the, the sports grounds next to our house. And then, um, and then he got... Then, well, I took him to Thin Lizzy show. Yeah. Uh, and then we kind of we were kind of cool with each other. It was nice and everything. And then uh, punk happened, and then we became best mates because we were the only people that was into punk. Yeah. There was one other guy in the area. That's how I mean. I mean, we're getting out of Glasgow and everything. But there was only me, Bobby, and my mate, good weird mate, Colin Dobbins, in uh, our school that was into punk. Nobody else was into punk. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? It's weird how you, you sort of. Uh, uh, we spoke when that record was on about a mutual friend in Mark Moore, and, yeah, yeah. and when I had Mark on. Uh, my podcast he was punk. sort of chatting about he's a punk and he was saying about yeah. punk and he was yeah. saying like you know he'd, he'd be on a bus and, and if there was another punk on the bus he'd go and sit next yeah, to him and would. go alright you yeah, know yeah. you're a punk and yeah. because you gravitate well, towards well Bobby got in touch with me but this is we'd been going to school and we'd been playing football with each other but we didn't really know each other not that well and uh, and then he saw me walking about with Bowie albums and he came up and he went will you take me to see Thin Lizzy well, he was only about 14 I was yeah. 15 and uh, I did think it was a wee bit strange, to be honest, because I thought... Because I'd been going to gigs on my yeah. own since I'd been about 11. Yeah. But I was like, all right, OK, I'll take you. And then that was the start of the real friendship. Excellent. Well, I, I want to talk about um, how the sound of Primal Scream um, evolved around sort of 89, 90. Obviously, yeah. it continued to evolve and does. But um, I, I'm going to be a bit self-indulgent and play a track myself here, Alan, because it's one that I've, <laughs> I, I'd like to sort of chat a little bit about, which is... I'm um, losing. I'm losing more than I've ever had. So uh, let's have a little bit of that. I'm losing more than I've ever had by Primal Scream. So what I wanted to do... Um, Regarding that, if you hadn't heard that track before, then what you probably did recognise was the the loop at the end, uh, which was used in Loaded. Yeah, it was. I think they they, they took some like two 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 rounds of it. Yeah, and and and, and whether or built the track out of that. So how, how did that come about? That transition from using the term rock and roll in its purest to form, from from what they were doing, yeah. to then 
Screamadelica. How, how did that transition happen? Like, where, where all of a sudden, you know, it, we were just <coughs> we were collectively brave, but we didn't really understand what anybody was doing. I mean, <coughs> I I said, "Oh, let's get a track on the dance floor." They had already met Andy Weatherall. I'd met Andy Weatherall actually in Brighton at a rave for a boy's own. Uh, we gave Andy Weatherall the track. We didn't know that we were about to redefine. Primal Scream and Creation Records. We didn't yeah. think it was that big. You know, we just were like going, oh yeah, we were just loose. And we went, oh, you know, give us a track that plays in the dance floor. And, uh, and then it became really apparent by midway through December that it wasn't, we were going to put out Amos and More as a single. Yeah. And it became apparent <laughs> you're putting out Loaded as a single. Yeah. And that's what happened. We put that out mid February and it exploded. I think it sold about 100,000 copies as a single, maybe more. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Okay. Um, and it kept jumping up the charts too, which was really phenomenal. And records, though, even to this day, don't really do that. You, yeah. know, I mean, you know, It is weird when, you know, I'm a bit of a sucker for watching old episodes of Top of the Pops on BBC yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever, whenever they're on. Yeah. And and when you watch the charts, you do see, like, up six places, up ten places. Yeah, yeah. You think, you know, when did that stop? The mid-90s, maybe? Like, yeah, yeah. It just seemed... Well, pop records used to go like that. Pop <clears> records <throat> probably still do that. But Loaded reacted as a pop record, which was totally different for yeah. us, you know. But how, what you were getting back to that original part of what you were saying was how did we end up kind of going that route? It was it it was totally by chance, really. You know, we wanted we wanted to be dancing to our own records. We were, because we'd been used to that, you know, with, with through like you know Mary Chain and yeah. and uh, you know like House of Love, yeah. and Valentine's. We'd being the masters of our own little destiny or mm-hmm. our, our own little trip and we wanted to be in the clubs listening to our records yeah. you know like creation records like primal's records it's like you know or anybody else that I was putting out dancey records by so it was sort of like that we just wanted to be we wanted to be part of it so yeah. we were like we want we want to be there but we didn't realise oh god this is such a great move yeah. for us because yeah. nobody else was really at that point when we'd done yeah. that it was only Happy Mondays that were doing it yeah. you know I mean you know it's like maybe shaming but it was it wasn't that much many people. We were really aware of one of the what, first it was people. Sort of transcending scenes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. We went for indie to being an acid house kind of rock yeah. and roll band. Yeah. And Monday's done that. Yeah. Shaman done that. And it, after a bit, Beloved done that. But yeah. that was the only band that really did manage to yeah. transcend it. Yeah, absolutely. Right, track three, Adam. It's the last song you listen to on your headphones as you walk to a venue. Yeah. Can you remember what you had for that? No idea. You went for Pill and you went oh, yeah, for Rise. Yeah. Oh, well, I just love Johnny Rotten. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, on route here today, I thought, right, well, let's let's put myself in uh, in Alan's shoes because obviously it's the last night before we all uh, we die in this Armageddon and the world's over. So I thought, right, stick Rise on my headphones and, uh, oh, mate, <laughs> it's a fucking tune, isn't it? It really yeah, is. Yeah, no, it's, 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 I mean, public image, so underrated, it's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, should we play it and then we'll yeah. have a chat about yeah, it, yeah? yeah? This is Rise Bar. Public Image Limited, Rise. Chosen by my guest today, Mr. Alan McGee, on Boogaloo Radio. So you can find us on Twitter, on Boogaloo Radio. We're on Instagram, Boogaloo Radio. Or you can email in on hello at boogalooradio.com. Even better still, download the app. So... What I want to talk about now, I guess we can talk about Pill, but you, you mentioned that you love Leiden, so 
I'd like to sort of go back a little bit and, and discuss punk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, are you still in Glasgow at this point? Yeah, and I didn't move down to, to nine, I was 19, and I got into punk when I was 15 or 16. And I, I was just, I loved it. And, uh, you know, it, Pistols and Leiden especially, the whole thing I loved, you know, but I loved McLaren. I didn't just love Leiden. I loved, I loved all the pistols and I uh, loved, I loved Malcolm, big influence in me. Um, Did you meet him? Yeah, best mates with him. I put him up for the Mayor of London. Really? <laughs> yeah, I knew them all actually. I, I met, I met Leiden when he was in London at the, in the summer. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was a, I was a big mates with, uh, I was big mates with, um, with Malcolm. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, it's really sad when Malcolm died. You know what I mean. So, to go to go back to punk in in, in Glasgow. Obviously, yeah. a, a lot of the the punk stuff that was happening was very yeah. sort of London centric. Like, well, you know, the interesting thing is to it's like, see, punk never hit Glasgow to the summer of '77. Right. So I would be 16, 16 and a half. And and the reason it happened, even though punk in London happened in '76, it took nine months to a year to get yeah. up to Glasgow. And that's really what the scene was like, you know. Well, not, not even the scene. That's what the world was like. What happened in London in 1976 happened in Glasgow in 1977. <laughs> that is factually correct. Now we've got all walking about with these phones. Yeah. And like, you know, you know, like we got we got our man here taking pictures yeah. and putting stuff up. And yeah. you can be in Glasgow knowing exactly what me and you are doing. Yeah. Or, or like you blog onto Boogaloo and yeah. watch me and you two rapping. Yeah. Right? You know, it's all there. But back in the day, there wasn't that level of kind of interconnectivity. And, uh, you know, you, you found stuff out about a year later in Glasgow. Yeah. And Manchester, I mean, that's what the Manks all say that to me. And Sean says that to me. Sean Ryder, he's like, yeah, yeah we, we were about a year behind London. Yeah. So what was going on in sort of 76, like pre-punk for you? Like what was going on musically? Well, uh, was you still glamming it at that point? Yeah, and I kind of like some metal. I, I mean, I love Deep Purple and things yeah. like that. Do you know what I mean? You know, I like things like that. Generally speaking, I didn't really like metal, but I liked that one band. Uh, I mean, it was interesting, a lot of that stuff. Do you know what I mean? You know, uh, I saw so many concerts at the Apollo. I mean, punk was banned from Glasgow, too. You know, I mean, it, nobody nobody was allowed to play in 76 uh, in Glasgow, you know, and or, or even 77. It was only towards the end of 77 that... Ramones came to the Apollo and Stranglers and, and Clash. They all came. But it was, that was at the tail end of 77. Yeah. So, you know, was it... You know, you mentioned sort of Deep Purple and that, you know, obviously it's, it's aggressive guitar music and, and then... When, I still like them. I yeah. Mean, I, actually, i tell you what happened uh, with that. I watched the documentary recently and for 30-odd years I'd went, I don't know what I was doing, like liking that band when I was a kid. And I watched it and I remembered why I liked them. Yeah. And it's just it's just got really good hooky songs. Yeah. And it's like really, really powerful music. And and it, it, they're kinda of almost like kind of like kind of classical yeah. rock or something. It's kinda of weird. It's good though. Yeah, it's, I, I mean the, the track we've just played, you know, Lydon screams angry with an energy. Yeah. Like was you an angry kid? Um I don't think I was actually. I mean I was probably as frustrated as everybody else, but I just wanted to get on with life really I was bored at my brains in Glasgow yeah and then I'd never really started feeling great about anything until I moved to London yeah did, did punk seem like something that was accessible and something that you could do 
Yeah, because I wanted to be a, I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to be a musician when I was a, I was a kid. I had no idea that I was going to end up being a, a guy that managed bands and ran record labels. Yeah. I never didn't know that. But I wanted to be in a band, and and it was you know Eric Clapton used to be as good as Eric Clapton to be in music. It's a bit like now, like you know, we were talking about run, doing a radio show, and you yeah. were saying we both now have radio shows. Yeah, it's like you don't have to be. Like, <laughs> Chris Evans, it's yeah. okay to go and just talk with us, yeah. because people don't expect you yeah. to be Chris Evans. Yeah. They don't really want that either. They want they want whatever we're talking about. Yeah. They want honesty. Yeah, I think I, I do you. think that's the key. And and, and mo- so mo- that's the same with the punk thing. I think yeah. this all this internet radio stuff that's starting to happen. I think it's kind of the new punk. I think I don't, I don't think it's just that. There's but there's little scenes in clubs, but there's definitely scenes like you know the Boogaloo's a kind yeah. of rock and roll punk scene. And we've all got little shows, and we've all got our own listenerships. Yeah. And, you know, little it might all be a thousand people, but it's great. It's it's like you can. I know most of them. You know what I mean? They send me emails. It's it's really interesting. So I've got some notes here that I've, I've been sort of listening, like looking through as we've been chatting, and and one of them is how vital these little collectives and and, and that are. Yeah. Do you think you know the, these little networks, whether it be radio stations, podcasts, or you know, or, or club nights and, and things like that? They're the things that, that, that create movements and collectives. I think, they are. And I, think, I think now the real truth is that it's so dissipated. I mean, because information's everywhere yeah. due to the internet, that it's really important that you, you, you do have your little things going. And, yeah. and eventually, something big will come through the whole thing and join it up, I suspect. Yeah. I hope. Okay. So, before your next track, I need you to pick a venue, a DJ, and a live act. Okay. A venue? Yep. I'm just making this up as I go along. That's all right. All right, my church in Wales. Okay, right. The, the Tabernacle. Okay, cool. A DJ? Uh, Andy Weatherall. Oh, good choice. Um, and the live act, you've gone for the Who anyway. Right, right, um, right. But that'd be a good night. Well, that'd be a fucking <laughs> great <laughs> night. Only holds 200 people. It'd be a fucking great night. You can stick what, me on the guest list, please, mate. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... Um, Track four is the song that hits you as you walk into a venue for the last time, um, and you've chose Neil Young, Cortez the Killer. Yeah, brilliant. So uh, let's have a little bit of that. Here we go. It's Neil Young, Cortez the Killer. Right, that was Cortez the Killer by Neil Young. Chosen by today's guest, which is Mr. Alan McGee. You're listening to Boogaloo Radio. Follow us on Twitter on Boogaloo Radio, Instagram Boogaloo Radio, email hello at boogalooradio.com, or just download the app. Okay, so Neil this... Young, how amazing was that? That's, <sighs> I mean, that track is just amazing. It's like, a, see, that's why I was just saying to you, that's why I can never take you too seriously. Yeah. When people were trying to get serious about you 2 when they tried to make an arty record in 92, which wasn't that bad, it was Akatong Baby. Yeah. Neil Young, you could just go back and nobody really knows about Cortez, yeah. not really. Baby Neil Young fans know, but the vast majority of like modern, like, like the modern day music fan, they don't know about Cortez the Killer. They might know the Neil hits mm. or, like, or the big songs like, you know, this notes for you or something like yeah. that. Do you know what I mean? You know, but they don't know Cortez. Yeah. And that's how I can never take bands like the mo- in a, the modern hypey rock and roll bands that seriously when stuff like that was just lying to the side. Neil Young just so incredible. Okay. Well, 
in regards to this question, the question was um, the song that hits you when you walk into a venue for the last time. And it's quite well documented when you walked into the venue. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're in Glasgow and saw Oasis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, but before we, we talk about creation too much, um, I'd like to ask you a little bit more about how you discovered, signed a couple of the other bands on, on Creation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think I'll go Ride first. Ride, well, Ride, um, I was in an A&R guy's uh, office, in a guy called Callie Callaman, and I was trying to, uh, I was working with this band that I'd signed to Warners uh, called The Grid, who went on to become quite famous, you know, for a, for a couple of really massive records. Who was in the grid? Richard Norris and Dave Ball. Dave Ball from Soft Cell, that's yeah. right, yeah. So I was managing them, and uh, the the, the, the A&R guy stupidly played me ride. They went, I'm going to sign this. And then I was like, right, OK. And then it was amazing. It was like House of Love meets the Valentines, yeah. both of what I'd put out. So then I contacted them, and uh, they came for a meeting with me. And then, of course, I just was like, you know, why are you going to sign to a major? Yeah. You know, they're just... Squares who 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 needs them? We're going to take over. It's yeah. bullshit. And, and uh, you know they were like, yeah, yeah, whatever. They probably thought I was full of shit. And, and they then, were young, right? Yeah, they were really young. They were eighteen. Yeah. To, and then they were going out with five or six shows with my friend Sean Dixon, uh, who's in the Super, Super Dragons. Yeah. Super Dragons. He's now a big dance artist. Hi fi Sean, but he was taking them out, and uh, I bailed Sean. And I jumped on the tour, went on the tour for six six shows, yeah. followed ride round, and I was mates with the Soup Dragons anyway. Yeah, and uh, I signed them. Right, okay. And can I ask about Teenage Fan Club as well? Yeah, that was another one. It's just like came out the blue. I used to meet them in uh, in Euston Station. Used to run into them the whole time, and uh, always nice. Just Bobby's mates. Yeah, they were in a band called The Boy Hairdressers. I'd seen a few years previous. And then they had problems because they were signed to Glass Records, and they had problems with Glass. I don't think that it was it was going the way they wanted it to go. Uh, and Bobby said, "Look, Norman wants to chat with you. I think he wants to sign to you." And I was like, "This could be good." And uh, I talked to them and met them. 
went to a gig in the lead mill it was incredible they were already pretty well they were selling out the, the lead mill when I yeah. signed them that's pretty big yeah. and that's about a thousand people so they were doing a thousand people in Sheffield so it wasn't too much a stretch yeah. to think of going to break this band yeah. and uh, we, we got lucky Don Fleming the Sonic Youth producer produced the record it was a pop record blew up and it's Ben Wigan-esque yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, and where it really blew up wasn't England; it was America. Yeah, yeah. We did about two hundred thousand records in the first month in America. Because it was really blew up. But the only reason it never broke was that the A and R guy Gary Gersh, uh messed it up. He took the song that was on the radio, uh, which was. I think it was. What does it mean? The big track, the concept. Concept was on the radio, and it was doing about twelve thousand records a week after a month or two and then I went and he went I'm pulling it off Alan I'm going to go to what you do to me and he never got it back on the radio so it stalled around 250,000 oh, in America as well. but it may, it's given them a career forever in America that, having that one big album because um, they're, they're out in February still doing a big tour again that's right they, they, they tour every, and that's really off the back of Bandwagon-esque I think one of them's an Essex boy now I think one of them lives in Leon C now in, in, in Essex who? Uh Oh God! It's possibly Brendan. Brendan does. Am yeah. I right? But he's not really in the band anymore. Oh, okay. You know, but he's one okay. of my best mates. He's right. A great guy. I should have remembered. Yeah. Because I wasn't thinking. Because the the band, although one of them's about to leave, but the band's really Norman, Raymond, and yeah. Jerry. And I was thinking, he's your plonker. No, no. It, it's um, yeah. Brendan's amazing. Yeah. You know, Bre- Brendan's. What a guy. And you, you say about being big in America. Um, they were well. They were not big in America, but they were. They, they could go out and sell out clubs. Because there's a connection with Nirvana, right? Yep. They, yeah. They, well, they were on. They were on Geffen, and Geffen put them on tour because we had bandwagon yeah. esque happening, and we, we we did the most of the world tour with Nirvana. And on, I think what one was it? I think we did in Utero a lot of that tour. Wow. Just before Kurt died. Yeah. So I've I've got some good Kirk Cobain stories. I mean, some mad stories. I mean, like I said, I know Courtney, um, and you know stuff like uh, you know Kurt and Courtney going off at each other and shit like that too. And me and my girlfriend at the time is now dead, unfortunately. Like uh, watching to, no in this really posh hotel, and they're just going at each other. And me and Belinda at the time are just like looking at her, looking at our sandwich or whatever we're eating. You're going, oh God. <laughs> So they have proper standards. It's really weird. Just you know, obviously I don't know either of those, but the public perception is, I would imagine she's letting him have it, and he's looking a little bit sheepish. But uh, w- w- was he a little bit more sort of full fright than? That's, that's a pretty good description for a guy that wasn't there. That was Courtney and She was giving a bit to him, and he was basically ducking. Yeah, she's a powerhouse, right? Yeah, she's full on, man. And like your mates with her, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And did that come about from that tour? Ish, you know, she was always pals with me. It's right through the nineties, and then, and then I started pop tones, and then she just started showing up. Yeah, and she, and she was really hung about with for about five years between two thousand two thousand and five. Okay, well, we we we'll get onto pop tones a little bit later. Yeah, that's yeah. all right. Um, but so you're in this live venue, and you're going to see one last song played live. Yeah, and uh, and can you remember what you chose for this one? No, I don't remember. So that. you went for um, Young Man Blues by The Who. Oh, brilliant! And uh, so is it live at least? It is. Brilliant. It is. So let's what have a, a let's have a little bit of that. Uh, <laughs> 
That's some serious drumming, right? That is ridiculous drumming. I'm sure uh, Mr. Moon probably had to take a knee after that. That was uh, <laughs> that was absolutely ridiculous. Um, gigs then, Alan. Do you still go to gigs? Yeah, I, I do. I do. I, obviously, what have I been at? I've been at a lot, a lot of shows. I was at Robert. I was at Real People Friday night. Yep. Saturday, I was at Robert Jaw. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen you been at some Las Vegas shows. Yeah, I was at Las Vegas on Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, 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 yeah. That's that's the great thing about Insta stories. Yeah. Everybody knows what you do. Yeah, so I've been at three three gigs this week, which yeah. I think is pretty good for that ain't bad. old guy. <laughs> <laughs> so you think the the scene's healthy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, music's always healthy. I think it's like there's always good music. It's whether it's getting anybody paying any attention to it. Do you know what I mean? You know? Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm enjoying it. You know what I mean? You know. Okay. Um, so. For track six, we're, we're we're in the club now, and it's it's, it's it's getting to the end of the night, and uh, and it's the song that a DJ plays that gives you that kind of ultimate euphoric hands in the air. What have I chosen? Into the night. Um, yeah, it's you've chosen Ballroom Blitz by the Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting something from the Mondays or something like that, which is uh, fantastic. You just uh, I love the sound of this record. Okay. Yeah, I just love the sound of it because it's like a, it's the Les Paul. Through the Marshall yeah. sound, and it's just only the 70, 70s records tend to listen to the Boogaloo massive records, just don't sound like this anymore. Yeah, and just and that's just why, as much as a good song, it's the sound of this record. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, let's have it on, and then we'll, we'll, we'll chat yeah. about clubs and, uh, and and stuff afterwards. Says he's um, Ballroom Blitz on Boogaloo Radio by the Sweet, chosen by Mr. Alan McGee. Blitz by the sweet. I defy anybody out there to actually tell us a more exciting record. I mean, it's just, and that record was made in what, 1973 or something? It was 73, yeah. yeah. The, the energy, as soon as it started, yeah. just that drum roll. Well, it just... Written and produced by my mate, Mike Chapman. Okay. Who did all the, he produced all the Blondie record as well. But uh, he wrote the Chinny Chap thing, it was just incredible what they'd done. But the sound of that record is just yeah. like, it's like, it's like punk before punk. Yeah. So, you've chosen. Obviously, when I, we've had a, we're having a dance on the last night, um, and the hands are in the air to ballroom blitz. So, how much of a like for me at my age when I hit sort of sixteen, seventeen, acid ass dropped for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was a little bit too young to kind of go all the raves that were happening in the fields in Essex, which I, to this day I'm gutted. I never got to go yeah. and experience that. So, how did sort of what was your involvement in rave culture? Was it something that you that you know? Obviously, I imagine. I was older when I when I was going to it. I was like a. I was twenty seven when yeah. I started when I started getting into the acid house thing. So acid house would be happy happening when I was twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine. Yeah. So it's pretty old for it, really, to be honest. But I was just bang into it. I thought it was great. You know what I mean? Um, I just loved. I mean, you'd be you could be like dancing, or dancing, hopping, and one leg more like. But you could be like kind of like enjoying yourself at the uh, you know in the comic garden the rock garden or whatever yep. it's called these days the gardening club I think it was called yeah. back then and um, and, and like some, you know you get talking to some like real mad guy you know like he starts talking to you hugging you giving yeah. you a kiss in the head not balls and then you go, what do you do? Oh, I, I run a record company. What do you do? I rob banks. <laughs> that used to happen. You know what I mean? I mean, it was like, what? It was like, 
And uh, so you made friends with quite a lot of mad people. Yeah. People that were doing bank jobs and stuff yeah. like that. You'd be like dancing with them. Do you know what I mean? So... You, you DJ, you've DJed plenty over the years, right? Yeah, I, I really didn't start DJing until about 2000. No, I mean, me and Bobby, I'll tell you a good story. Me, me and Bobby started a club in 98, 97, 98, in, in, in uh, Fitzgrovia. And I, I was at the, the peak of the Oasis thing, mm-hmm. tail end of 97, I think it was. And he had, had Screamed Elk out, Give Out, We Don't Give Up. Yeah. It was a big deal. We, we did a club night and about six people turned up. <laughs> Nobody came. And me and him were like, I thought we were meant to be well known. So it just shows you that if people are not vibing on what you're trying to do, yeah. they just don't come. Yeah. So was it a one-off? I think we tried it twice and then, and then looked and went and walked away. We weren't even really trying to be anything, but we did, our egos were quite big. We definitely thought, well, if we do something, people will be interested. Nobody cares. There's a reality check right there, yeah? It was quite happy. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it didn't damage me too much, the fact I can recite the story, but it was funny, you know? I mean, it was a funny moment, you know? And so, moving on a couple of years then, you set up Death Disco. Yeah, so yeah. how did that come about, and why why did you do that? Well, no, I, I was I was mates with your mate Danny Watson, mm-hmm. and uh, we wanted to run a club as part of Pop Tones, and we started Death Disco. It started as we called it a different name. We called it Radio Four. Uh, initially, it was all public image references, and uh, and then uh, Ian, my pal, who was doing Radio Four, watched me book to darkness, and I, and I was I was too mortified the darkness had played, so I changed the name of the club. <laughs> 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 I'm not sure. I'm sure the darkness are good guys, but I just really, I was a, I don't know, better dick. I suppose I changed it. If you're naming your club after a, a pill record, you can't have the darkness play, oh, right? I agree. <laughs> they, I, Ian really wanted me. Ian manages them, I think now. But what happened is that um, they really wanted to sign to me, and this is before that it blew up at all. Yeah. And they'd got something like twenty-four pages, literally twenty-four pages in the front cover, and I think it was. What what magazine used to do that again? It was one of these fashiony magazines. If you said it, I would remember it. ID. I think it was ID. Yeah. It was one of the. What was the other one? Face. No, there was another. There was another one. They used to. They, I think they used to buy the cover for about five grand or something. God like that. knows. Anyway, I think they'd done the one that you buy the cover, but they had a twenty-four page spread in it. Twenty-four pages. Yeah, it was huge. It was literally for an unknown band. It was unbelievable. It was yeah. a really huge, huge interview. But they were paying five grand for the front cover, so yeah. I suppose. So that's why you do it. And uh, Ian said, "Alan, we got to do it." You know, blah blah blah. And uh, I listened to it, and I'm like, oh, "I don't really like it." But anyway, I phoned Gillespie up, and I went, "Look," I said, "I'm getting told I'm going to sign this band. Do you want to have a listen?" Just I played it down the phone, and I played it down the phone, and for the first twenty-five seconds, it's kind of like ACDC. Uh, you know, and then he's got that Angus Young type guitar, yeah. and then he's then suddenly Justin comes in the singer yeah. going with a little thing called love, oh, yeah. you know, and like Bobby laughed at the same point as me. <laughs> he started laughing, and I knew just like you're laughing now, yeah. and I knew I couldn't sign it, so I, I never signed it. Yeah. But and I've got to give Ian the credit financially, I should have done it because it sold four million copies yeah. of the first album. Yeah, it's ridiculously big. So wasn't I probably it? should have done it. Yeah. Well, you had them at your club night. <laughs> I know I did. So, some memories of Death Disco. It was just like, it was good. I'm, I'm not the best person to talk about Death Disco. I'll tell you why, Stu. I never really thought it was that good. Everybody else thought it was bloody great. Mm. But uh, What didn't you like about it? I don't know. I just wasn't that. 
bothered with it. I just thought it was okay. But people loved it. Mm. Absolutely loved it. So, I mean, and to this day, people still go on about Death Disco. I was at Primal Scream thing last night, and people were talking about Death Disco. Do you know what I mean? So, so obviously, I must have done something wrong. And maybe it was just the right, the right club at the right time, I think it was. Yeah. But there were some mad ones. Though. Sometimes we were like, you know, you'd have literally the Kings of Leon, Las Vegas, Anton for the Brian Jones town, uh, the Hives, and right, the Colors, I'm, I'm gonna... in the club all in the one night, and then Dave Grohl would walk in at the end. I mean, it was sort of, there was some nights in that club that you couldn't invent, you know, who was on the guest list. And it was, it was, so it was kind of like the, the rock night, if you want to call it that. And it was the hip rock night in London for about five years. So I've got to go back there because you mentioned lots of superstars there. And over the years, it's quite well documented. You've worked with lots of bonkers people. Anton, has he? Good. Yeah? Good guy, man. Really lovely guy. I think Dig's one of the greatest rock and roll documentaries ever. Genius, best film. Like, best best rock, rockumentary yeah. ever. But this is what I always say to people that make films. If you follow, if you followed you around for seven years, it'd be a good documentary. Because no matter how boring you are, and I am boring, yeah. but no matter how boring you can be, there's always something happens in over about seven years. And, that, yeah. and that's all they did. Anton's not boring. He's a nut job. But yeah. it's like, but, you know, they managed to film great shit. Yeah. Because it's like Anton being mental, yeah. like chasing people. Like, yeah. You know, that was just a really good... You know, you know, if you're going to film anybody, film Anton. You film can. a man with records on roller skates outside yeah. of Dandy Warhol's. He's amazing. <laughs> Anton's amazing. All right. Um, track seven, Alan. The song that makes you and your friends reflect on it all on the way home. Can you remember what you chose? No. Oh, it's a good one. Uh, Between the Bars by Elliot Smith. Oh, I love, I love Elliot. So, should we have a bit of that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Okay, let's get that one on now. Here we go. Elliot Smith, Between the Bars. Why'd you choose that one, Alan? Uh, I love Elliot Smith. Um, the last time I saw him was uh, it was about 2001 or two or three, something like that. And uh, I was um, I was in this club and oh, what's I can't remember what part of Elliot is. I think it's, if you said it. Something Lake. What's that part of LA? Something Lake. Not sure. All right, okay, I can't remember. I can't remember exactly what the area's called. I haven't been in LA for a few years. Um, but anyway, what happened is this girl from Glasgow came up with this guy with a bandage round his head. Right, and so this guy comes up and he looks like a gang member. And, and, and I'm like, can I? They both asked me a few questions, and they both kind of knew who it was. Yeah. I mean, the girl knows my sister in Glasgow, and she was going out with this guy with a, with a thing around his head, but I didn't really know who it was. I can't even really remember that much what we talked about, but, but yeah, yeah, I'm in town and blah, 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 and it was all like kind of nice and nice. It was all cool, right? And he went away, and the girl came back to talk to me, and she said something about Elliot. I was like, Elliot who? And she went, Elliot Smith, that's my boyfriend. And I'd just been talking to him, and it, he did look as if somebody had smashed him in the head and yeah. he got a bandage around his head he was pre- I think he lived quite a rough life to be honest you know because he was I think he was pretty much he was a junkie to be honest yeah and yeah. He was, like the thing that was stopping him being a street junkie was that he was a successful artist yeah so, he was know, a troubled soul wasn't he yeah he was yeah yeah, yeah. but he was like but you know he, he's 
you know, he had a moment up at the end of the nineties when he was in Goodwill Hunting, Goodwill Hunting, yeah, and, he, and and I think he could have been as big as you want him to ever be. Yeah. He was, ma- you know, he potentially was massive at that point. Because yeah. he had about four songs on it, and that that's got put, got people into the sound of Elliot Smith that film. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's amazing. I mean, there's like well, that 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 album EXO is just genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I love that song. I think it's a classic. It's actually. Beautiful record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful record. Well. So that's the song that you and your friends are going to reflect on it all. Yeah. And so well, if we're in reflective mood, then um, we can't not mention Oasis. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play an Oasis record. That's uh, and, uh, and then we'll have a little chat about that uh, afterwards. So this is Cast No Shadow. <laughs> Cast No Shadow by Oasis. You're listening to the last reflective. dance. Get, we're getting reflective now, well, mate. Well, Noel was getting reflective back in the day, wasn't he? <laughs> you know, reflective Noel. Yeah, it's, it's a good track, isn't it? It's, um, it's one of my faves. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's, uh, so I'm going to ask then, if you was to reflect back on, on let, let's sort of say the, the first sort of two albums where it went from yeah. big Zero. to massive. Yeah, yeah. Um, Worldwide. Yeah. You know, how was that? Yeah, it was great. It was great. I mean, it was like blue is all away. I mean, it, it, it was over. Like to be honest, it was like Oasis was. It was probably ninety four. I signed him ninety three. Um, ninety four, ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven. Up to but midway through ninety eight was just bonkers, man. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was that was the height of it, and then after that it was a slow descent into kind of being a normal band. Yeah. And then they broke up, but um, but that main part that I was involved in, that first four and a half. I mean, I was involved with it, I think for seven years, but that first four and a half years was crazy. What was the, what was the track that, because obviously you know by then creation had a great roster of acts already yeah. that I'm sure you'd been shouting from the highest places yeah. to everyone that had listened yeah. about how good they were. What was it? Was there a, a thing with Oasis where you thought that this is different? This is this could be. I, th- I, I mean, they were. I mean, they just had them. They, they they seized the moment. They were the moment actually. Yeah. Um, you know, it had been building up. Creation had been building up with the scream and the Valentines yeah. and House of Love and Ride and Saint Etienne uh, and Sugar, the Boo Radleys. It had been building. Yeah. Mary Chain in the beginning. Yeah. Until like it was, it was going to kick off, and then, but we had to get lucky and, f- and find a great band, and we did get lucky because they were, one, they were one of the best bands ever. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. People don't really talk about them now because I think it's they got so big, it's kind of uncool to like them. But they were they were an incredible band. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? It, it, you know that that fell. Uh, you know, in regards to sort of. Being a DJ in in altern- an alternative club, a rock and roll club, whatever you want to call yeah, it, yeah. up until for me, it felt like, it, you know, it, in eighty nine, ninety, and stuff like that. The whole kind of Manchester thing that was exciting, and then fast forward a couple of years, you know, the grunge scene happened, but it still felt a little bit outside the comfort zones for your lads on the football terraces or your, you know, the, the man on the street. And then for me, it, it felt like when Oasis come along. They look like the man on the. They look like the sharp man on the street. Yeah, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And they're talking about yeah. football, girls, drinking, 
but they backed it up with fucking killer tunes. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and I think that just from a, a personal view on it, from like the clubs, all of a sudden there was less people with long hair jumping around to chapter house and ride. And there was more people <laughs> turning up in Ben Sherman's yeah, yeah, yeah. with smart haircuts, yeah, like, yeah. you know, and chest out. And it was like that. Yeah. It, it all fell with the mid nineties kind of yeah. lad culture yeah. and the whole kind of, I knew it was changing. I'll tell you the moment I knew it was changing when blood got big with that album, um, part life. Yeah. And that was just before Oasis. Yeah. And they, they were good blood. They'd, they'd had way back at the beginning of the nineties that had, she's so high. Yeah. And then Modern Life is Rubbish had come out. That was a good record. That's a great record. And then it just then they just blew up with Part Life. They yeah. became like a, a superstar band. Yeah. And and the truth is, when something blows up, people are like, "I love them." Yeah. But I want more. Yeah. And 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 not one band can ever give everybody everything. Because sometimes Blur would be in America or they'd be in the studio, and and there was a space for another big band and that was Oasis and so, yeah. so in a way we owe Blood a lot because Blood opened it really yeah. opened it up to be to that mass audience because what Damon and they, these guys did was they, they connected up being mods and being indie and being football and be, it was okay to be into it all again and you know it, it hadn't been like that since about the 70s completely I mean we, yeah. we, I, I know and when it, and maybe it'll come round again not maybe in that obvious way but, but I think you know in a way that it's okay to to be kind of like so I mean what what Oasis was it was okay to be normal yeah do you know what I mean yeah and it was cool to be normal yeah. which was nice so okay so it was okay to be working class well, that's, 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 that's that's you know what I mean yeah, it was, it, it, and it's not been cool to be working class for a long time yeah but it was in the 90s it was cool to be working class which was great because we were all working class yeah okay so hey we're having a moment here. <laughs> We're having a radio moment. It's getting groovy, baby. It's getting groovy over here. Oh, brilliant. Um, how long have we got? Right, we've got 20 minutes left. So um, I want to try and squeeze three records in. Um, and so the last track I've asked you to pick, uh, Alan, is um, the song that you're going to have your last dance with, your love to, before it all ends. Yeah. Can you remember what you're going for? I do remember this one because I've been looking forward to it. Lou Reed, Walking the Wild Side. What? Cracker, let's have some of that. Great bass line, man. Welcome you should sample this one in the studio. Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed on Boogaloo Radio. Uh, follow Boogaloo Radio on Twitter, Boogaloo Radio. Instagram, uh, Boogaloo Radio. I think the Twitter might even be Boogaloo underscore radio, but the sign I'm reading it off of, I think the little underscore thing may have fallen off. <laughs> um, uh, email us at hello at boogalooradio.com or just download the app. Um, my guest today is Alan McGee, and that was uh, the song that I asked him to have his last dance of his love to before the world ends, and that was Lou Reed Walk on the Wild Side. Lou Reed, bit of a legend, right? Yeah, no, I mean, incredible. I, I only met Lou once, but 1989, 1990, and maybe 1990, and it was in, a, it was in Brooklyn, and, and he was doing that songs from Drakela. Do you remember that album? Yeah. Yeah, he was doing that with John Cale. And then Simo Stein, who's the, you know the guy that signed yeah. Everyday Blondie, Ramones, yeah. in Lou Reed, blah blah blah. And uh, he went, Alan, 
I'm going to take you back to meet Lou. And I always hated that. Back in the day, I really hated it. I was like, no. And I went, yeah, I'm taking you back. And we went in, and the dressing room was full of Hell's Angels, because Lou was a biker. Right. And it was like a baby about a bike gang, about 12 people. And Lou, and then he goes up, and Seymour's like really effeminate, and he comes up, and he goes, Lou, Lou. He goes, this is Ireland. He's got all the bands in England. And Lou looked at me as if, like, you fucking idiot, and walked away. And I was like, because th there's a side to me as well that secretly laughed and thought, Pan, you'd be a, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be a bit of a dick. But, but I love his music, so it didn't yeah. really matter to me. I wasn't expecting him to be nice. But anyway, Seymour then went, no, Lou, Lou, it's Alan. He signed all the good bands in England. He's the guy. you got to meet him. And then Lou, to keep Seymour happy, he came and he met, and it was like uh, uh, a really like tired handshake. And it, it, in a way, it was horrible, but in a way, I just I didn't expect anything better. Yeah. I was like, of course you're going to meet Lou Reed. He's going to be a bit of a dick. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You know, so it, it didn't it didn't it didn't make it shit for me. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I loved his music, so it didn't really matter. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know, if you met, I suppose if you met, I don't know, if you met somebody more mainstream artists or something like that, and they were horrible to you, maybe you'd be like, oh, I wonder what I did wrong. But, but because it was Lou Reed and he's this like weird little mad drug yeah. addict artist, yeah. he, he was fine. It was, was what it was. I mean, just a genius songwriter with a very bizarre underworld kind of lifestyle, you know? Genius songwriters brings me on to where I wanted to take this next mm -hmm. um, creation management. Yeah, yeah. Sean Ryder? Yeah, yeah. Mondays? Brilliant, brilliant lyricist. So, creation management, what's what's the story? Yeah, I mean, it's just where creation kind of went to for a while. And we just we managed quite a lot of different bands. But, uh, yeah, Sean, the Mondays are so dear to me. I mean, they're like, you know, one of the best British bands ever, to be honest. Uh, and it's they're all cool, you know, and they're all talented. It's like, you know, it's like... Uh, they're just an iconic band. I mean... You know, I love them. It's probably yeah. one of my favourite ever bands, you know. So was that... How, how did that come about? Did you...? Well, well what happened is that I was, um, I was friends with Sean and Bez and, and Gaz, to be honest, uh, way back in Paul. We've been friends with them forever, from the early 80s, from about 86. Yeah. I've been mates with the Mondays. And, uh, and then they needed management at a certain point and they just went... Do you want to do it? And I think probably I only did it, all we got it was because most of the people they trust are now dead. Yeah. So they don't really trust anybody. So it's a bit like, so they were like, well, we know Alan. Yeah. You'll probably be able, will be able to do it, which I think I can. Yeah. So it, it worked and, and now I managed them. I've managed them for four or five years. Enjoying it? Yeah, I've got one favourite band. We got off to Australia to <coughs> end of February for about three weeks. Yeah. It'd be amazing. Fantastic. Well, look. Let's have a bit of Mondays. All right. Okay, we're going to go for. You want right to play Hallelujah? Damn yeah, yeah, of course. Let's I love some of that. Hiya. Hallelujah by the Mondays on Boogaloo Radio. Um, we're going to try and squeeze one more song in. Um, I'm still sitting here with my guest, Mr. Alan McGee. Uh, so you're looking after the Mondays. Yeah. Um, right, where can I finish this one up? How can I finish this up? Right, what fires you up and drives you now, Alan? Um, I don't know. I just, I love, I, I, I just want, it sounds so crass to say it, but I may as well be crass. I just want to be happy, really. And, you know, I've managed to successfully avoid 
real employment for 35 years now. I'm yeah. 58. The last time I had a, a real job was when I was 23. And uh, I'm pretty happy, I think. So, I mean, there's things that are wrong, but, you know, not really in my, my business life, just my personal life. There's yeah. a, few, a few things, a few ill relatives. But, I mean, other yeah. than that, I mean, everybody's got stuff like that they're dealing with. I'm pretty happy. Yeah. That's good. Let's finish it. Should we <laughs> so finish it there? No, that's a lovely happy. one. I, suppose, I mean, it sounds so bland. Go, I want to be happy. But I suppose just keeping myself in the happy line yeah. is what I'm about, really. I, I don't really... I don't want to be in a place, do that, you know, I don't like people. I don't work with anybody I don't like. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I just try... It's, it's really about personal happiness, Yeah. if I was being really honest, you know what I mean? Not even about the money anymore. It's about yeah. being happy. If I'm happy, it's kind of a problem. I would, I'd assume that I've had a good result. Yeah. One of the reasons I've got a show here is like, because they're, they're just punk as fuck, aren't yeah. they? You know, they, the people run it and they let me have on who I want, whether yeah. it's a session player nobody's heard of, yeah. or Bob Geldof, or as in Monday. Yeah. You know, they, they don't give me a hard time. Yeah. They just let me do what I want if I want to swear. They let me swear if I want yeah. to kick off, they kick off. And I don't, generally speaking, you know, so it's all good. Yeah. You know, I just, I suppose happiness, as bland as that sounds, somebody out there is probably cringing at me being Mate, bland. it's what it's all about. <laughs> Absolutely. But it is about that for me these days. I'm old, I'm old, man, at 58. If you're not doing it because you didn't do it to be happy, I don't know why we even be really doing it. You completely. Know, yeah. Completely agree. Adam, thanks so much, mate. Yeah, I was, I was, I was really nervous today. I don't know why. I don't well, generally get nervous. Do the, was, do, come up to London the next couple of weeks and we'll do your podcast. That'd be absolutely yeah. lovely. Thank you so much, mate. And I'm yeah. gonna. Do you mind if I finish with Las Vegas? Yeah, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Right. Let's have some of that. Thanks again, Adam. But how you do? There you have it. That was my show that I do on Boogaloo Radio called The Last Dance. Um, I took this opportunity to edit up a little bit and put it out as a, as a podcast as well so you guys could get a real feel for what, what happens over at Boogaloo. Um, please head over to um, boogalooradio.com and, and follow them all on the social medias and, and check them out on Mixcloud and you can look at all the other shows from all the other DJs and listen to them and, and, and there's so much good stuff over there. Um, thanks ever so much for listening. Thanks so much to Alan McGee. Um, it was an absolute honour to to sit down and and chat about so many incredible bands um, with, with with the man, the man himself. Um, I think I'm done. Thanks for listening. See you next time. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. AdWanted UK is the provider of single-source media data for agencies, media owners, brands, and academic institutions. And thanks to our rebranded news offering called The Media Leader, we can also lead the way in championing excellence and inclusion in the media industry. To find out more, simply visit the-media-leader.com to subscribe to our daily bulletins. The Media Leader from AdWanted UK.